I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello there. You're listening to Muses and Stuff. This is the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the groupies, the wives, the girlfriends, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They were sweet, sexy, brave, and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. Hello, and welcome to the show. With me today, I have my friend, Trevor Murphy. Hello. Hi, Trevor. Thank nice you to s- talk to you. Nice to talk to you, too. Thank you so much for being a guest on Muses and Stuff. I've been very excited ever since we started talking about it, so I'm, I'm excited to do this. Fantastic. I'll introduce Trevor. Trevor is a musician. He's a singer, songwriter. He's the host of Halifax's Burning, which you can listen to on the radio on CKDU-FM. And you can listen to his podcast by the same name, Halifax is Burning, which is an interview-based podcast. And you can find that on iTunes. And That's right. you can listen to all of that at halifaxisburning.com. Did I get that right? Yeah, man. That's a lot of stuff. I'm sorry to make you do that. Uh, no, happy to do <laughs> it. I'm so happy to do it because I'm a really big fan of your show have been for a long time and as well as your podcast. Thank you very much. I take a, it's a lot of fun for me to do that radio show and, and I'm doing the podcast as a new venture. So I'm very excited about it. Like I'm really, you know, when you get into something new, you're really jazzed about it. Oh yeah. That's, that's how I am right now about this podcast. So I'm, I'm hoping uh, people will tune in and enjoy what they hear. I'm hoping so too. You've got some pretty incredible, uh, interviewees. So you talk to a lot of really incredible musicians yeah well the there's like some i kind of want to approach it in different ways and one of the because my show on ckdu is focused on 
local music in Atlantic Canada, I really want to take the opportunity to talk to some local musicians, particularly musicians who kind of like come from an era before me or something so that I can learn more about the music scene that I am a big part of now, but, you know, obviously wasn't until I moved here. So I kind of want to get to know the scene of the past through these musicians. And then by the same token, sometimes I just really want to interview cool people that I want to talk to and I want to use the podcast as a way to be able to do that too. So there'll, there'll be some different stuff right now. It's all music, but I have a really awesome interview coming out hopefully next week, which is with the music supervisor from the movie scream, which is oh my, my all time favorite. God. movie. Good for you. Yeah. So I'm super excited about that uh, because I love that movie so much and uh scream just celebrated its 20th anniversary this year so i wanted to sort of like to do something for the anniversary so that's coming up very soon so his name is edgerard and it's a really fun interview and we talk about the soundtrack to scream one we talk about nick cave a lot and uh, how instrumental he was to that movie so i hope uh, people will check it out trevor that sounds incredible it's super fun Good for you. And it, yeah, I really like the way that you're approaching with, um, you know, the past and people before you. It's super respectful, super interesting. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Cool. Doing cool things. Just two buds doing cool things. Two buds doing cool things. And, uh, yeah. So for the listeners, um, who know that I'm based out of Toronto right now, uh, I did live in Halifax and that's where you are right now. And so when you're talking about music in Atlantic Canada, you know, I can say firsthand too that I've been there, I lived there, and it is incredible. There's an amazing music scene. Oh, yeah. It's a a wonderful place to live and a great place to sort of be a creative person. Nova Scotia is an amazing breeding ground for creativity, and I love living here. That's so true. But you're from Yarmouth, aren't you? I'm from Yarmouth, which is in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. I was thinking about Halifax, thinking you're in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but you are from Yarmouth. Yeah, Yarmouth is on the very southwestern tip of Nova Scotia, and um, a lot of people from Yarmouth move to Halifax because Halifax is basically the city of Nova Scotia. So if you want to kind of move to the city but still stay here, you move to Halifax. A lot, a lot of our friends have done that trajectory, and here I sit. Mm, here, there you sit in snowy, uh, blustery, blustery Halifax. It's a full-on blizzard outside right now. <laughs> Do you so guys, the, have you got your storm chips? Uh, no, I have a couple of, uh, a couple beers to keep me a little bit warm and then it, I, I'm hoping it'll keep me warm for the walk home. Like it'll get me primed for the walk home. Oh, I hope so too. Um, before I ask you a few more questions just about your music and your bands and things like that, I just want to mention that today we are going to be talking about Gail Zappa. Yes. Gail Zappa. I've been wanting to do her ever since, been wanting to do her ever since I started uh, recording this podcast because she and Frank Zappa were, for me and for Pamela DeBar, uh, the epitome of the perfect rock and roll marriage in a way. And she was sort of the mother hen to a lot of the budding groupies. So I'm excited to get in to her, and I decided to pair her up with you is because you're a husband. You are a rock and roll husband. That's true. And you have a rock and roll wife, which uh, I can't wait to talk about her a little bit. But funny enough, you know, I don't know if I would necessarily call Nicole a groupie. She is very supportive. Yeah. Of groupies, you mean? 
uh, of, of the community in general. <laughs> but no, I, I think um, Nicole is, I have like a million favorite bands and I think Nicole is a little more reserved in, in regard to things like that. But the bands she loves, she really loves. Like we just um, came back from a trip with uh, some dear friends of ours, our dear friend Carly and our friend Leah. We did like a road trip and followed winter sleep around because we used to do that when we were in our 20s. So uh, we we kind of felt like groupies for that weekend, certainly. Oh, I, yeah, and I called you out on, uh, kind of as a joke, calling you out, I call groupie, when I saw on whatever it was, Instagram or Facebook, that you had all made that trip to go see Winter Sleep. So I take it back. Yeah. You're a groupie. She's a groupie. Yeah, y'all's a groupie. Yeah, for sure. Great. Um, but speaking of Winter Sleep, you had uh, What's-His-Face from Winter Sleep on your show recently, didn't you? Yeah, Paul Murphy, yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. Yeah, it was fun. Um, so, I mean, w- they're a band that I absolutely love 110%. Me too. And um, it's, a, I mean, we know some of those guys. Uh, I play in a band right now with um, Mike Dion, who is Tim's brother, Tim, who plays in Winter Sleep. Yeah. So, like, you know, they're no strangers around these parts. And uh, But I had never interviewed Paul, and I've always wanted to, and he was kind enough to let me sort of interview him before one of the shows. They played two shows in here in Halifax recently. Um, yeah, and it was really good. That's, yeah, that's great. So you had just mentioned that uh, the bands that you play in. So you kind of do it all. So not only do you actually play in the bands, but... Um, you work in music as well and you have a podcast and you have a radio show. So you are like a quadruple threat when it comes to uh, your music abilities, which is great. I do. I, I tend to keep myself quite busy and I love music so much. So everything I do might as well kind of revolve around that aspect is, is how I look at it. Yeah. So people who think, you know, you can't have a career in the arts can stuff it. Yeah. You're a very, very talented guy. So what bands do you play in? Um, well, my main band is a band called Quiet Parade, and that's the one where I um, write and sing the songs. Like I'm the front person of that band. And if you like, I don't know, if you like bands like Wilco or The Wooden Sky or, you know, even some Blue Rodeo, I think mm-hmm. you'd like our band, Death Cab, certainly. We all listen to a lot of Death Cab. Um, and then I play in another band called Dance Movie with my friend Tara Thorne. Uh, and we're getting ready to put out a new record in May. And we've been waiting for about two years to to uh, record it. It's like, or to release it rather. We recorded it about two years ago. And it's a really cool sort of like guitar forward, almost kind of pop punky. I don't know. It's 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 a really fun band to play in. I think Tara is one of my favorite songwriters. So I really like playing with people who... I respect like that. Like I get to play bass with people. So it's fun. Greta. And then every now and then I play with Mike Dion in a band called Fossil Cliffs. Fossil Cliffs. And yeah. is Julia in that uh, as well? Uh, yeah. Julia, who plays in Quiet Parade, is also playing keys in Fossil Cliffs. Hi, Julia. I love Julia so much. She's one of yeah, my best friends. Yeah, she was just – we were just together here in the rehearsal space, which is where I am tonight in our rehearsal space in Halifax. Recording some French music. Yes, this is true. We uh, are taking four songs that we had put on a record uh, in 2015 and uh, took all the English vocals out and then I translated the vocals into French. So tonight we were sort of going over the backups and I was teaching Julia some phrases in French. Acadian phrases? Oh, yes. It's a very Acadian. The whole point, I think, we wanted to... Well, I certainly wanted to 
definitely keep the authenticity of the Acadian accent and represent the region I come from and be proud of being from there and not being ashamed of the way we talk, you know? So I really wanted to keep it true to that. So it's a little weird to teach somebody kind of like a slangy dialect of a, a language they may know. It's kind of like Shiak, but like where I come from, we put a lot more English in there, I think. And, uh, I speak with a more hard English accent, I think when I talk in French, but it's, it's got similar vibes. Yeah. Great. I like that. Um, all across Canada, because we're a bilingual country, you know, we should all be embracing all of our different kinds of French and not putting each other down or not saying, okay, let's just switch to English, but really embracing wherever everybody is. Like it's your language, it's your dialect and it's all great. Yeah. And it's, it's a minority community in a province like Nova Scotia. So I think if we try to hide it or are ashamed of it, then we're never going to grow it. And I think we should, and we, we deserve to grow it. And, um, it's an important reason to keep talking in French and, and to kind of, that's why I wanted to kind of do a project like this too, because I think it's just a testament of something that we can do together, you know? Good. I can't wait to hear it. Me either. It's going to be fun. So Trev, do you want to take a little trip down memory lane? Yes, please. Okay. So I said that I did live in Halifax and that's where you are now, but that's not where we met. Do you remember when and where and I mean, how could you forget? Well, if memory serves (laughs) me correctly, um, it was in Peterborough, Ontario and at the spill. And then uh, we were kind of like staying in that apartment upstairs and then you were kind of just showing us the ropes and hanging around and we got to know you. Yeah. And it was a fun, it, that's where it all started. Yeah, that's right. Um, except I'm thinking, okay, so you were on tour, you were with Sleepless, you were playing in Sleepless Nights, right? Yeah. Yeah. At that time uh, we were playing in a band Yeah, called Sleepless Nights. And you came on tour with Miles Deck and the Fuzz. Yes. Which turned out, I think that was probably our last tour as Sleepless Nights, like our last tour out to Ontario. Yeah. And that was the third time that Miles Deck and the Fuzz had been to Peterborough, but it was the first time with you guys. And I'm pretty sure that you guys played at the Moho. No, 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 no. Oh. Red Dog. Red Dog. The Red Dog. We did play. That, that is 100% true. So I think that's the first time we met. I'm, I'm confusing times. It you, ha- I, yeah. Yeah, I'm confusing incidents. <laughs> and uh summertime and we all ended up playing tips at some beach yes and then afterwards uh and it's okay that i remember this more than you because i like probably went home and wrote it in my diary (laughs) i hung out with this really cool band uh and then you all that day after the beach came over to my house and you all showered and I gave you all popsicles and Pinky and I played backgammon. Backgammon. I distinctly remember the backgammon. And because I tell yeah. you this every time I see, I know you taught us how to play that day. And that's probably the last time I played backgammon. But every time I see a backgammon game, I think, oh man, Chantel told me, taught me how to play that one time. Yeah. But uh, I don't remember. You should pick up a you should pick up a board game. It's perfect for a wintry wintry night. Yeah. Or a hot day in the summer of 2010. Yeah. Um and then the last thing I wanted to remind you of was you had a tour vlog called Men with Ven. Mhm. 
<laughs> I loved making that. So we were just like, like, I don't know. It was a great way to occupy our time when we were driving in the van. And Pinky and I had gone splits on a video camera so that we could, when we were on the road, we could just like document stuff and make little tour videos and stuff. And yeah, we did that the whole tour and it was super fun. One of the my favorite things that I've ever put on YouTube is uh, when we were in Waterloo, Ontario, and we <laughs> would always Chris? stay with a, yeah, yeah, and we would always stay with our friend Joe and his folks, and they had this beautiful home, and we were just like hanging out one day. We were like, man, we should do like a cribs episode in here, and it was super fun, and I'll never forget that. Yeah, yeah, men it was with men. hilarious. Good that, research. You're digging. Yeah, and then I rewatched a couple of them. So I only watched the one from Peterborough, and then I watched the Cribs one. And the one in Peterborough, I don't know if you guys, you, you probably didn't do this on purpose, but what you ended up doing in the description of the Peterborough one was Miles Deck in the Fuzz and Sleepless Nights Break Hearts in Peterborough. <laughs> and then... <laughs> One of the songs that you had played with it was like when you were when somebody was videotaping um, all of the guys sleeping on the beds. There was that song that by Sleepless Nights, and it was "Sleep in Your Own Bed, Stay Out of Mine." And <laughs> yeah. that was the first year that yeah that everybody left, and I was so heartbroken. And I don't and I don't know if it was you or Pinky or Pino who had. Uh, found me and one of the other members of one of the other bands and I was just crying and I think we were hugging because I couldn't I didn't know you guys well enough then to to tell you apart although I, I know it was definitely not Aaron and then so when that video came up I, I looked at it and I was like was that intentional and then I forgot about it and then I visited it years later and just laughed wow well that's the whole point of documenting those things man because you know obviously you have a superior memory and you write things down far more frequently and that's amazing but i like to use video for stuff like that and i would have totally forgotten probably that whole cribs incident if we didn't put it on tape and stuff like that so it's cool it's cool to go back and see that stuff so i'm glad you found them again yeah okay fantastic and now i want to watch them again yeah you should well we've we also recently made a new sleepless nights recording i was there yeah, I know. <laughs> so we, you know, there's some, uh, we've been also kind of ourselves going back through the archives recently because we're going to start kind of rolling some things out and, and maybe kind of revisit some of those old materials. So Good. maybe the Peterborough one is, is a place to start. Okay, great. Yeah, and you guys did that in Toronto. It was really nice to to kind of come back, and I feel like a lot of that stuff has been happening. A lot of people coming back around, a lot of people either getting back together, doing reunions, and it's just it's been all it's been great timing all around because you know a nice a nice seven to nine year break for everyone is uh, is great and come yeah. back older, wiser, and hopefully better musicians. Definitely. Yeah. All right, so Gail Zappa, shall we? Yes, please. Okay. Um, so Gail Zappa 
I, I, t- I typed out my notes. I don't usually do that, but I typed them up and I even have little, I don't know, I guess just feeling really organized today. I even have little subtitles and everything. So I started off with Gail Zappa, Love at First Sight, because that's the title of her chapter in Pamela DeBar's book, Let's Spend the Night Together. So as you know, uh, Pamela DeBar is the queen. Uh, she really started it all when she was in the GTOs, which was a girl group that Frank Zappa got a hold of, realized that they were geniuses, hilarious really worth documenting and celebrating and then he produced their album Permanent Damage it was their first and only album but it was great so she um oh (laughs) and speaking of Pamela DeBar my brother thinks that I'm in her cult (laughs) yeah so Pamela knows Gail because she took care of their children. So she took care of the little Zappas and Gail and Frank ended up having four children. Uh, So Pamela lived in their pool house or like kind of back room. And uh, she has this really cute story of um, getting a call on the intercom in the morning from one of the little Zappa kids being like, Pamela, come in, come and make our breakfast. And then Keith Moon was waiting for her with her high heels on. So she had to kind of <laughs> crawl out, go make the kids breakfast and then get back to Keith Moon. So for Pamela, Gail was really the voice of reason. She was kind of like a fairy godmother and Pamela really looked up to her. And Pamela really saw Frank for what he was, and she called him the rock master of unrepentant irony. And I just um, watched that Frank Zappa documentary, Eat That Question, Frank Zappa in His Own Words, on Netflix, and it was great. I was more interested in Gail in the past, And he said things like, people just usually know me as this face. And that's totally how I knew him. Like, all these years later, he he was still right. And then once I started to realize what a genius he was, what a composer he was, I started to understand a bit more why Pamela looked up to him the way that she did. I'll be honest. I don't know anything about Frank Zappa. You know what? Just watch that um, on Netflix and then you will probably be inspired to check a, th- a, a few more things out. Um, yeah, for sure. Because he was with it. I really like watching movies like that or like reading books about subjects, in, especially music. Well, predominantly only music, but about like I that I would have no idea about. You know, I love watching a documentary about someone like Zappa, who I've heard a lot about but don't know anything about. And I'll sit through a million movies like that. I just love learning about music. Oh, yeah, ate it up. He was um, through and through, just total genius. So the way that uh, Miss P found her way to the Zappa residence was because one of the other, her friends at the time who became one of the GTOs as well, the girls together outrageously only all that stuff, was Miss Christine. She was originally the governess uh, of of the children. And she told Frank about her gaggle of newfound cronies and Frank was interested. So, um, he said, bring the girls over. And so while all the girls were kind of being old, well, Pamela said she, she first saw him at his piano creating works of cryptic splendor. And then once all the girls were in and they were being silly and they were doing what they do, uh, Gail was just quietly and peacefully making everybody tea. And uh, speaking of tea, you know, I have my tea here in front of me. And it was Gail Zappa that said, you can be a rock and roll maniac and still have a nice cup of tea with your friends. I like that. Yeah. 
So uh, Pamela kind of looked at Gail Sapa as in, like, she's got it all. She's got the rock star husband. She's got a house full of wild musicians. She's got her own little bundle of baby joy cooing along with daddy's brilliant jingles. How had she done it? And with all of the femmes on the prowl, how had she captured this coveted rock god? So um, as they were married, Gail adored, protected, and tended to uh, Frank. About being a groupie, Gail, Gail said that being a groupie is a state of mind and that the negative side is only wanting to be with musicians for their lifestyle. So I like that. And I'm starting to realize, too, that, yeah, it is a, it is a state of mind. So Ooh, I, I mean, like, okay, lifestyle, but, like, I, I'll say this. Like, I, there's a picture of the musician lifestyle that is, like, mega glamorous. And if you're, like, a big rock star, sure, it's probably pretty glamorous. But I think that, like, a band girlfriend sometimes will go out on the road one time to see what it's like. And they're like, no, never again. It's not a fun time being on the road. Like, especially if you're not, if you're, like, in an indie rock band. So It's tour vans and not tour buses. Exactly. So it's a, it's like a big sign of commitment when you can be like, yeah, I've I'm spent, into I'm into what you do, but I do, I'm not going with you. I've spent the night in a tour van. Um, well, I guess it might have been it was more of the early morning of a tour van because the party went really late, and then everybody wanted to get some sleep. And my friend who I was with at the time. I brought her with me to hang out with this band and she um, started hooking up with the drummer like that time. And this was the second time I had been with this band and they called the backseat of the van and then somebody else in the band called the other, uh, like the other middle seat. So I had to sleep in the passenger side and then my guy slept in the driver's side. We just like fell asleep holding hands in the most uncomfortable position oh, for yeah. a couple of hours until everybody sobered up and was able to drive back to Peterborough. That is what being on the road is like. That's what, that, yeah. That's a, that's a great summary. <laughs> Van crazies. But then also I remember sitting in the back and just like listening to the, like the, the stones were on the radio or we were listening to a CD. And I remembered also like not wanting that van ride ever to end. So yeah, it, it can be smelly and gross, but it was weirdly romantic in its own way too. I agree with you. That is um, <laughs> extremely apt, I will say. <laughs> so Gail's early life. Um, she was born Adelaide Gail Slotman, and she was born in Philadelphia. Her dad was a nuclear physicist, and he was the captain in the U.S. Navy, who ran an office in London. So she lived in London in the mid-60s. Um, when she was a teenager, she attended a function where the Stones were playing, and she knew that something big was about to happen. This heading that I have is called Psychic Abilities, and I'm always interested and always curious to figure out uh, or to discuss these women and these groupies and these muses and the connection that they have with either the occult, if you want to call it that, or the divine, or, um, I don't know, what I, all of that stuff. All that good psychic stuff. So, like many of the groupies that I've been talking about and discovering, she also had a highly tuned fifth sense. She really trusted her intuition and she got visions. So one day uh, when she was a teenager, she got this, she thought about this 
prophetic poem. It just came out of nowhere. And she wrote it down right away. And it told her that she was protected. And then it also foreshadowed uh, meeting Frank. And so she just knew it was a matter of time before she she met him. And so she just said that she checked her check-in balances. And she just... Um, her intuition and all of that stuff just guided guided her to him. Um, when she heard the Stone song, Out of Time, she thought it was about her particular di- dilemma, which was seeing things before they happened. So, for example, she'd picture her father come through the door and saying this thing, and then five hours later, he would come through the door and he would say that exact thing. Um, she said she fell into trances at school and had visions of things that didn't have anything to do with her, so she would see major world events and accidents happened. Um, that reminds me of my mom, uh, for some reason she has this really tuned sense into my younger brother. She always knows, and he's the youngest kid, so, like, he's always getting into really weird shit. Like, he's a very, like, sweet, responsible guy, but, like, things just kind of happen to him. Like, he hit, um... A, a moose or was it a bear sometime like in either this, would not be good yeah in this tracker that we had going on the highway and my mom uh had a vision of it the night before it usually comes to her in her dreams so a lot of the times she'll feel something she'll feel off sometimes i feel it too and then we'll get the phone call the next day and then we see that he's calling and we go okay what is it this time that is fascinating <laughs> yeah and you know what it's just like a muscle that you have to work and you can always brush it off and you go, oh, coincidence, coincidence. But once you realize, you know what, I'm, I'm working this and I'm using this part of my brain. Um, I just uh, I just told the story to my friend Lynx and I said, I was just at yoga the other day and I was just lying there and I was having a hell of a day and we had to get props and I didn't want to get up and get them. And I just said the person beside me is going to offer to get them for me. And that's not ever really happened. I've offered get props for people before, but um, the guy got up. He looked at me and said, can I get you some? And I said, yep, thank you. So it's little things like that, you know, and I didn't look at him like, well, you're going to get my props. Like I just remained lying there instead of getting my props and he got them for me. So yeah, it could be coincidence. could be he just realized that I wasn't going anywhere and there it was. Cool. So, um, Gail says that it was a gift. So she said, some people have the ability to be fabulous musicians or composers or singers, and her gift um, helped her assess situations, react, and help guide and influence Frank. So that's where I think maybe this other sense, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't get the musician and singer gene. I really didn't. That's not my gift. I have a lot of gifts, and that's not one of them. However, I feel very drawn to music and musicians and things. So for a long time, it was like, but what am I doing here? And then when you realize, well, because you have that gift of, you know, guidance and and things like that, I'm just kind of starting to put some pieces together in terms of our, our uh, magical groupies and our musicians. <clears throat> and that's all I have to say about that. You're doing a great job. Thank you very much. So, um, talking about the free love movement, Gail experienced it firsthand, although her groupiedom did end with Frank. She had flings. She had a crush on Chris Stamp, who was the manager of The Who. She met her first boyfriend on a modeling shoot, and if you can picture a young Gail Zappa, 
she looks very much like Lily Allen. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes, the British singer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, I like her music. Yeah, me too. Yeah, definitely. But like that kind of round face, big eyes, long eyelashes, childlike almost. I can see it. Good. Um, she moved to New York when she was 19, and she became friends with the notorious groupie and backup singer Emeretta Marks, who I believe was the backup singer on Gimme Shelter. Hell of a song. Like the main singer? Like the main kind of like soul backup singer? I believe so. I don't know the lady's name, but uh, there's the person who sings that on Gimme Shelter is in a wonderful documentary about uh, like backup singers. I think it's called 20 Feet from Stardom. Yeah. It's brilliant. Okay. So I wonder if that is her. Um. I just did a quick search and so maybe it is, but she, she, but I think she was a backup singer for the stones either way. Mm -hmm. Um, she dated music producer Lou Adler who produced Carol King and mamas and papas. Mm, Man, I love me some mamas and the papas. Can I tell you a story about mamas and the papas really quick? Of course. Take your time. Sometimes I think, you know, like, I don't know. Do you ever think, how did I like come to enjoy music? Like where did it come from and, and why am I into it? Yeah. And, and sort of like look back at like what your parents listened to. Like I know your parents listen to like really great music and you like Tom Petty and stuff a lot because of your folks and things like that, which is awesome. But for me, it's the moms and the papas. Like I have this distinct memory and I'll never, ever forget it of, you know, Sundays were kind of like a lazy time around our house. We sort of didn't really get up to much. And I think one day I was hanging out upstairs. My bedroom was upstairs and my parents, you know, TV wasn't great on Sunday, like afternoon or at four o'clock or six o'clock or something. And so I think my parents were watching like PBS or a station like that. And there was a documentary about the mamas and the papas. And I remember hearing the music like the first time in my life ever. I was probably like, I want to say 12. Hmm. And I like literally came down the stairs and was like, who is this? <laughs> and my parents, of course, were just like, is the mamas and the papas, you dummy? Like, of course. And uh, and it was like in the time of Columbia House. So I immediately found a catalog and like ordered a mamas and the papas CD. And so I have this very special memory of basically like associating that band with my early interest in music. And like I, my parents had a lot to do with that stuff. Ah, uh, Well, thank you, Trevor's parents, for that. Yeah, it's a great band. And a Halifax connection. Denny Doherty was from Halifax. Sweet. Yeah. And this is a perfect segue into where we're going now. Um, so Gail hitched a ride to L.A. with her friend, um, Anya, I think. Yeah, Anya. Because they were trying to get The Who on the radio, which they did successfully. So Anya was English and everybody in LA at the time, I guess were obsessed with this like idea of authentic Englishness. So I know the mamas and the papas, uh, mama Cass lived in the Laurel Canyon store in the basement of it, which is now just where they keep uh, like the canned goods and things like that. And there was a trap door at the bottom that allowed her to get in and out. That's incredible. Yeah, and so she was started hanging out in Laurel Canyon, and she went to um, a cafe, 
and Jim Morrison was there. So she would go to the coffee house and Jim Morrison would be in the same spot every day and they would be running into each other all of the time. Uh, the doors were the house band at the whiskey at the time. And he looked at her and he was like, why are you so familiar? You look so familiar. I've seen you before. And you might think like, okay, so this must be like some cosmic thing. Maybe they're like psychicking out on each other. But actually they had met when they were five years old. Whoa. Yeah, because I think maybe their dads had both been, um, had something to do with Navy or Army or whatever it was. Right. So uh, she met Brian Wilson. She sat in on a Beach Boys recording. So her foray or her introduction into music and this, it was very natural. She just kind of went with a friend and then all of a sudden she's got an apartment in Hollywood on the Strip. And she started working at a place called The Trip. And yeah, so she sat in on a Beach Boys recording. Um, her friend ended up marrying Chris Hillman, who Pamela DeBar was obsessed with for years and years and years and would have married him in a heartbeat. Um, yeah, so then, so now she's in L.A. And now she's about to meet Frank. So she's uh, 21 years old, and Anya brought her to Frank's house, and she didn't know where they were going. She didn't, she didn't know about Frank. Um, she said at one end of the house, there was, like, a whole bunch of drugs going on, and there was, like, a really drugged-up girl that was maybe it was, like, allegedly going back and forth between the rooms of Van Morrison and Jim Morrison, or it was Jim Morrison, and then somebody with a name that was pretty close to Jim Morrison's. Um... I didn't write it down, so I don't remember exactly. Um, but then she said the other side of the house, it was all business. And she was like, okay. I thought that, you know, Frank was the most unusual person. It was, he was the most unusual person she'd ever met. but Or that she'd ever seen, but they didn't meet that day. The second time she saw him, she was running errands like making a deposit for the whiskey where she was then working. And she saw Frank at the bank. And she tried to approach him. She walked up to him and then chickened out and left. And she did that three times and she didn't end up talking to him. So he didn't see her there. And then the third time she had become friends with Frank's roommate, uh, kind of unknowingly that they were roommates. And Frank had called the roommate saying, I need uh, to be picked up from the airport. So she went and, and she, Gail went with uh, her friend, this, this roommate, and it turned out that the roommate was trying to set them up anyways. So they're standing at the airport and Frank comes out and I'm going to read you what Gail says. I was simply standing there and he walked up to me and made this gesture to put his briefcase down between my feet. I refused to back up, so I had to move my legs apart. He put it right down between them so the handle was in line with my ankle bones. I was standing right there with his briefcase between my legs and he was really close to me. We were nose to nose. And he said, you're cute. And that was it. My vaccination. That's that like a scene right out of a movie or something. I know, right? That's great. <sighs> so she later read in an interview that he said that it was love at first sight, but she never knew that. So then, uh, of course, um, that love at first sight led to marriage. And um, it's like, how did you guys make it work? What did you talk about? And Gail was like, well, we sure didn't talk about our mortgages. 
Although uh, you'll see, if you see the documentary with Frank, he'll say things like, you know, I'm 40 years old. I have four kids and a wife and a mortgage. Like, I, come on, you know, I'm not crazy. So if he did talk about mortgages, it was just in terms of like that. But you know who had the mortgage? Like, yeah, he was paying for it, but Gail was taking care of it. So she said that they did not discuss serious matters. She said it would have been a dangerous thing if she would have done that. And they didn't make decisions together. She made a conscious effort to keep everything that was mundane out of Frank's way. So he didn't have to deal with any of that shit. He didn't have to deal with groceries. He didn't have to deal with paying bills. But she said that he kept a roof over her head, so the least she could do was spare him the ordinary details. Um, She realized that they experienced things differently, and she didn't even try to understand what was going on inside his excessively creative mind. Um, but her profession was a professional wife and she said it was a fucking job. (laughs) So I think that's pretty cool. Totally. Um, It's such a a different take on like, you know, the stories you think you might hear, you know? Oh yeah, totally. Because a lot of the times with those, uh, rock and roll marriages, if there was the pursuit and pursuit, I mean, look at Patty Boyd and Eric Clapton, like one of the most romantic stories with Layla and the letters and the pursuit. And then their even their whole marriage, he had done it on a dare, like on a bet to see if he could get their marriage in the papers and, or he, if they could get, if he could get himself in the paper in less than 24 hours, it was like $10,000 bet or something. And so he proposed to Batty Boyd and then they got married. And then less than a week after they got married, he was back on the road. And, um, you know, they did not have an open relationship. So therefore he was cheating on her. So it's like as soon as she left George and went to Eric and he got what he wanted. And so it's a lot of times how these uh, rock and roll stories had gone. But not with Gail and Frank. However, Frank did have his own groupies. It seems to me like it was more of a don't ask, don't tell situation instead of a polyamorous open relationship kind of thing. So in regards to that, she said, even with all of the love and understanding, Frank was on the road a lot and had his own fervid groupies. How did Gail deal with that little detail? Well, everyone had groupies. I mean, you couldn't get around it. There are certain aspects that were not easy and were not fun. And it's not like you could be consoled on cry or cry on his shoulder over it. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that's what she had to say about it. I like it. That's yeah. where Kelly Clarkson got the lyric. What? Gail. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Did she says Gail? No, no. <laughs> could you imagine? That'd be a weird song. <laughs> yeah. No, Kelly, well, Kelly Clarkson has a song that's like, what doesn't kill you make you stronger, right? Like, I mean, oh, I Jesus. understand that's like a bit... Um, a very common phrase. I'm just, uh, anyway. For sure. Thank you for that, Trevor. I think it's really, um, I think you're really showing your true colors here. And hey, I love I, it. I make no, I have no shame about my enjoyment of a good pop song. Good. You shouldn't. And speaking of, you know, no shame and pride, 
Um, Gail says, I will never be ashamed of being a groupie. My observations tell me that the early groupie movement was part of a huge shift in consciousness, part of an awareness that was impossible to ignore. Whether it was a nasty sound on the guitar or what the lyrics said, the people making the music were telling you that everything you suspected about the world you were entering was true. Rock musicians were saying that there is an alternative. There is another way to think about things. And according to Rolling Stone... The quote's over, by the way. I'm saying this now. According to Rolling Stone, Frank Zappa said, or he saw groupies as, freedom fighters at the avant-garde of the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Thank you for telling me. That's your bedtime story. It's a good story. It's cool. I love, I love like rock history, music history. So I'm thankful to learn something new. Cool. And I watched the end of the uh, Frank Zappa documentary. And um, at the end, at the credits, right before the credits roll, it just says for Gale. I mean, he oh. did. yeah. So whoever made the documentary also made it for her. So if it's a new one, I didn't check the date, but she just passed last year. Oh, and really? uh, yeah, lung cancer. And then we know that Frank uh, died in 1993 of prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. So uh, before we go, because we're we're doing okay for time, do you want to hear some a little bit of uh, strange music trivia about the Zappa children? Yes, I love music trivia. Okay, great. Um, not that I'm going to like ask you any questions. Like, which one? Oh, okay, yeah. sure. Can you name any of the Zappa children? I know there's Dweezil Zappa. You got it. Uh, I want to say he has a daughter like with the name Moon in in her name. Moon Unit. Moon Unit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two I know. And then there's Amit. Unfamiliar. And Diva. Also unfamiliar. So Diva, I saw uh, Diva for the first time when I was watching The Mighty Boosh. And awesome. I think you know that from the moment that I saw that show, that was one of those moments where, you know, where you're – your awareness, your consciousness, like something just shifts in you and you yeah. just see things differently for the rest of your life. The Mighty Boosh was that for me. That's amazing. And then I totally fell crazy, just whatever you call it, for Noel Fielding. So I'm yeah. still a Noel Fielding groupie. Like when I go to the UK this summer, I'm I'm going to do a little bit of research I'm going to do a little bit of, you know, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, A little bit of research, never hurt anybody. (laughs) But he had Diva in an episode of The Mighty Boosh. It was in the third season, and it was either, I think it was the episode where they had the party. And you know the song like, bouncy, bouncy, ooh, such a good time? She's in (laughs) that one. Yeah, so... Uh, That's great. Yeah, I should probably rewatch that. And then uh, Moon Unit was a groupie. She married a guy in Matchbox 20. What? Yeah. That's a weird story. I know, right? Um, And I didn't write down which ones, but a couple of the Zappa children were VJs on MTV. Incredible. The story gets better every time you you add something new. (laughs) And then, so, which is kind of, I don't know if we would call it ironic because of the way that Frank Zappa felt about the music industry and about big companies. So did... um, in the documentary you watched, did they talk about the sort of like uh, Tipper Gore stuff where they went to Congress? Did, was that in the film? Uh, uh, for the censorship? 
Yes, where they were fighting against like the parental advisory sticker and stuff. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that yep. was cool. I mean, I've seen like that kind of stuff in in documentaries and such. Oh yeah, it um, yeah, and they had asked him like, "Do you make money off of this and that?" And I, for for whatever reason, like at, at times he said yes, and at times he said no. And at this particular time, he was saying no. And uh, he said, "If any artist gets in, like, does their art to do it for the money, then they're not." in it for the okay he says i think any artistic decision based on whether or not you're going to make money is not an artistic decision and he was asked if he intended on making money off uh these certain recordings but he was not well received in the united states he said like people don't even know my music here they know my face but it was huge in europe and then especially uh when like czechoslovakia was Oh God, was it, they, then they got independence and they became something else, (laughs) but then they invited him there and he met the president and his music had meant a lot to those people. And they had been told that they weren't allowed to play his music because of the ideologies that he was trying to plant into their heads. So yeah, there's a lot of controversial stuff. And it was funny because one of the women in terms of the censorship was like, have you ever bought toys for your children, Mr. Zappa? And he was like, no, my wife does. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine being somewhere where you're like not allowed to listen to a certain kind of music? Uh, No. You know what I mean? Like that's, I, I can't even imagine. We are so lucky. We're so fortunate to live where we do. But we just have access to everything, you know? And I can't even imagine, like, having to get, like, bootleg copies of Western music because your government said it wasn't allowed or something. No, they considered, and they one of the guys called Frank a prince for, like, bringing this to them. So, yeah, he was in a lot of battles, but I never really, I, um... I'm glad that this talking about Gail gave me the opportunity to look into Frank and I'm going to keep going further with that. Like, I think it's, I think it's definitely worth listening and uh, just more to what he had to say. Cause it's really, really relevant to what's happening right now as well. Very cool. And then um, finally, I'm just going to say thank you for referring me to Wayne's world. Oh, I, yes. I know that I'm so late coming into it, but you had made a joke um, that I didn't understand about Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Oh, shit. Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, what are you talking about? And you said Wayne's world. And I was like, you know what? I, I haven't seen it. But then I watch it and I'm like, oh, my God. There, Wayne is a groupie. Yeah, it's super. That movie is so fun. We have watched it. So I think that is um, my wife Nicole's favorite movie. Um, amazing. And I want to talk about Nicole in just one moment. Just before I say anything more, or before we get into Nicole a little bit, before we say goodbye. Um, so Cassandra in the movie Wayne's World. Yeah, I Tia th- Carrera. I think she Carreri? was maybe based off Tura Satana who was the woman who taught Elvis Presley how to sing, or sorry, how to kiss, dance, and make love. And because it was very, they have like a similar look, very martial arts based, very, same vibe. So that's just my guess. That's a great observation. So, uh, yeah, let's just, let's just give Nicole a sweet shout out because she is a wonderful human being. She's so... 
she's she's one of those nurturing women who you know is always giving people great food she works with children she's so smart and she's your wife yeah she is the best she is the best so hi nicole um thank you for being you we love you you're an awesome rock and roll wife and you have an amazing rock and roll husband that's very sweet Okay, so anything else that you'd like to say before we say goodbye and do all of our plugs and online social stuff? No. uh, Again, thank you for telling me a really great story and um, letting me in on a piece of rock and roll history that I was unfamiliar with. Uh, You're so welcome, and I really appreciate you supporting uh, my podcast right from the beginning. Oh, yeah, man. I was so excited. I'm always excited when when Bud's decide they want to do something you know like you were thinking about it for a while and then you finally you know you were asking some questions and then you just like jumped head first into it and yeah i'm just really proud of you and you're doing a really great job right back at you so you can find trevor at halifaxisburning.com uh, yep the, so and... that's uh the website you can get the radio show there you can also download some of the interviews but there's also a, a really handy kind of toolbar where you can find all the other, you know, social media stuff. Great. And check out the Acadian Embassy. Um, yes, please. Website, record label, a lot of great bands on there. Check out Trevor's band, Quiet Parade. And yeah, look them up on iTunes. And I'll have all of the links in the description. So don't even worry about it, people. Like, don't even worry. When you get your pens out and your notebooks or like frantically typing it in your phone notes. I got like Harriet the, so- Harry the Spy vibes? Like... Exactly like Harry vibes. Thank you for that <laughs> little trip down memory lane again. Yeah, and you can find uh, muses and stuff on Facebook at just by just by typing in muses and stuff, and then uh, my little blog website where you can stream things if you if you don't uh, use iTunes, and that's musesandstuff.ptbopodcasters.ca. And while you're there, you can check out um, some other podcasts that the Peterborough Independent Podcasters are putting out. There's some pretty interesting ones from um, people talking about ukuleles to a podcast with ambient ambient sounds to somebody uh, reading out misconnections. So it's a pretty cool community to check out and throw back again to our to our bud Peterborough. What's up, Nick Ferio? Oh, what's up, Nick Ferio? Yeah, the city that brought us together. All right. So thank you so much, Trevor. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But 
wait. The excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to Season 1, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Season 2. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together.